Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This podcast is made possible through donations from listeners like you and our partners at Tallman Equipment, where they pride themselves on equipping their customers with the tools they need to get the job done right. They are dedicated to set the standard for quality, convenience, and reliability. At Tallman, your opinion is important to them. Rate and review any product or tool you've used on their new website at tallmanequipment.com. Line 11 Clothing Company. Making apparel for our first responders with a positive message to patriots that you can be proud of. A proceed of the cost goes to helping our foundation ignite the fire for father engagement. Give them a follow at Line11Clothing on Instagram. And last but not least, Monzingo Knives. Each knife is created with craftsmanship that only a tradesman could provide. Find them on Instagram at Monzingo Knives and get your American-made Monzingo knife today. I also would like to thank Southeast Lyman Training Center. It is a premier school for line worker training. SLTC produces an elite group of highly trained and certified graduates equipped with the knowledge, discipline, and ability to have successful careers in the electrical utility and communications industries. Learn more at lineworker.com. What up, guys? This is Dave from The Show Up Dad bringing you another episode to help us understand that we are more than just a paycheck to our families. At The Show Up Dad, we recognize that fathers providing for their children is certainly important. But when we as men truly understand our unique role and gain the knowledge and skills to be great fathers, we can transform and impact future generations. Today, our special guest is James Howard. James was born and raised in Glen Rose, Texas. At the age of 18, he served in the Air Force Reserves, later joining the police department at age 21. Jim has decades of experience as a vice and narcotics investigator, crisis negotiator or negotiation trainer, sergeant, and detective. Jim founded Trinity Security Allies in 2015 and currently works as a safety consultant for a mega church in Florida. Jim Howard brings a wealth of knowledge and skills set to safety and security working for places like the World Bank in Washington, D.C. and LifeLink, to name a few. Jim also just finished his first book, God's Unseen Plan, detailing the repercussions of domestic violence about his own personal experiences with it. Welcome to the show up, Jim. Hey, Dave, thanks for having me. I really appreciate uh, being on your show. Absolutely, brother. Can I have you give our listeners an overview of your childhood as you remember it, if you don't mind? Sure. I grew up in a small town in Glen Rose, Texas, and it was like the every kid's dream. I lived on a farm. Uh, my parents, uh, my dad was well known in the area. It was a very small town, like 1,540 people inside the town. Mm-hmm. And growing up in high school, well, growing up in school, being in school, you, uh, if you could walk and chew gum at the same time, you played every single sports that was out there. <laughs> so as a kid, I got to play sports. I was also in music. And so I was also able to play in the band. So everything was going really well for me as a young, young man. Um, I had a girlfriend. I had lots of friends. 
it was it was just something like i said and i and growing up in texas has its own little things that that you're very proud of the history and different things like that and so it was just it was a good life when everything was going the right way um, my dad was a very disciplined person uh, i believe he got it from his childhood but sometimes he would take it to the extreme and there were times where he would physically hit us uh, with either an open hand or anything that he could grab a hold of or his belt but he, he um, as long as you did your chores, stayed out of his way, did the things that you were supposed to do, then he kind of let your existence go on behind the scenes. I mean, he was never involved. He was never, he was never involved in any of the sports that I did. I can remember one time he showed up at opening Pony League uh, baseball one summer and drove me to the game. And he pulled his truck up facing the field and I thought he was going to watch it. And instead he got out and opened up a lounge chair and sat in the back and read a book while I played, you know, baseball, but he just never was involved with us. We were a commodity. That's what I always felt. The older we got, the more responsibilities he gave us around the farm. We had cows, chickens, we had crops. I mean, we did all, I mean, we did the farm life. So I, I, I will say this, I respected my dad because he was kind of one of the hardest men that I, hardest working men, man that I had known. And my dad wasn't a drinker and things like that, which other friends of mine talked about their dads and their drinking issues and stuff like that. But like I said, he was very, a big disciplined person and just, you did not do anything that uh, crossed him. If you looked the wrong way at him, if you, if you said something back to him, uh, you, you would immediately, uh, you know, get punished. And his punish was swift and it was rough. I remember one time that um, we had a horse and we had let it out in the main uh, around the house. It was eating grass, different things like that. And he came up with a water hose that had been broken and he started to hit me with it. And of course, I didn't really realize what was going on. And my mother stepped outside and said, you know, what is going on? And he said, well, the horse stepped on this water hose and broke it you know, Jim left it out there. And, and so I'm punishing for it. She said, well, I'm the one that left the water hose out. His response was, I'm just getting him for something that I didn't see him do. I mean, that's just the way he was. Uh, he went to church. He taught Bible uh, classes by uh, Bible school. Um, he taught one of the classes I was in. Like I said, at, at just, and everybody in this town would talk about how strict their dads were. So I didn't really think of it as anything unusual. And it's, it's a uh, interesting that you said commodity. Yeah. You know, because um, my father, you know, he grew up the same way. Um, nine kids. Um, they lived in a one room home that he had built with his hands and they all slept in the same room. Okay. Yeah. And one yeah. of the, one of the things my father had to do, he was telling me as a child was, his job was to put wood in the fireplace mm -hmm. and you better not let that fire go out. Cause that's how they warm the water and everything. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, you know, he would, he would, he worked in Fort Worth, which was like 60 miles away. Mm -hmm. And so he would get us up at four o'clock in the morning and we would go out and take care of the livestock. I mean, we fed bait, bottle fed baby calves during this time frame. I mean, and there was no complaining. You did not complain. You, when he said, get out of bed, you got out of bed. It did not matter how cold it was. 
you know, if it was raining, you were, you were out there doing it. And then he would let us go back into the house after it got finished. And mm -hmm. of course we would get back in bed and sleep for like another hour before we had to get up for school. But we just used to think that this was normal everyday life. He, he had three old, I mean, I have two older brothers, brothers that are in my age range. Like one is two years younger. I'm the oldest one is two years younger than me. And one is four years younger than me. And like I said, the older you got, the more responsibilities you got around the farm. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a horse and, and I got the, you know, I kind of say the luxury because I enjoyed it of taking care of the horse. And, you know, my other brothers would get other like jobs, like feeding the chickens or feeding the animals just to make sure they were doing their part. Wow. Yeah, no, that's, it's, it's crazy how that culture back then, you know, the children were used as, as not, I don't want to say slaves because that'd be the wrong word, but they're definitely put to work. They were used. You, the more children you had, the more you could accomplish, right? I mean, it almost seems that way. Uh, yeah. I mean, David, that, that was how he was raised. Like you were talking about your dad, that was how he was raised because he had multiple brothers and daughters mm -hmm. and, um, you know, they lived on a farm and that's, that's the way that they were brought up. And listen, I, I, you know, I knew no different. I enjoyed that life. It was just that, like I said, I made sure that I did everything I possibly could to mm -hmm. stay out of his way. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we, I, I, we had an aunt that uh, my, my mom uh, uh, had an aunt, we called her great aunt. And uh, we would go over to her house and she would always make a German chocolate cake. And we like loved German chocolate cake. And he would tell us before we got there, do not ask for a piece of cake. Do not ask for one. And so she would like take this cake out of the oven, you know, and it would then like put the icing on it and be smelling. The smell would be hitting you. And she mm -hmm. would be looking at us and talking to us about, you know, I sure y'all want a piece. And we would be looking over at dad, like, <laughs> you know, we're not saying anything here. And then finally she would, she would kind of know what was going on. So she goes, won't you let them have a piece of cake, James? And he's like, yeah, I'll go ahead. And, and of course, you know, then we got a piece, but mm -hmm. if we, if we did anything wrong, he would tell us, wait till we get home. Mm -hmm. And he never forgot. There was that ride, that long ride home that you always, you know, were afraid of. And as soon as you got home, this is when he normally used the belt uh, mm. to, to beat us. Man, that's uh, that's that brings up memories that stirs up memories of myself too. Because I remember going to go see his mom, which he didn't have really a great relationship with her. Um, we didn't even really call her grandma because we didn't really know her. But man, before we even got there, he would warn us: <laughs> "You are not. You go and say hi to your grandma, and then you go outside. You better not come inside the house." Mm -hmm. And we never. It could be one hundred and four degrees outside. And we could not come inside the house. He did not want us in her stuff. He didn't want us running around in the house. Nothing. You stayed outside all day until we left. Right. You know, and all we needed was that look. <laughs> you yeah. knew you're in trouble. Oh, oh you yeah. gave you the look. Yeah. You're in trouble. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Th that, that was it. The look. I, I think I even wrote that in the book, the look, you know, you would get it. No, you know, you, your life was, you know, could be short lived right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Jim, I wanted to ask you, how was your father's interaction with your mother and how did that affect you? Well, um, my mother was, <clears throat> I mean, a fireball herself and, mm -hmm. and, you know, she kind of protected us. She kind of helped us with, uh, like I said, I was involved in music. My mother had a dream that I would grow up and be a minister of music. I mean, I was in church at a very young age. I sang in choirs. 
I, I had a talent. I, I auditioned and got into the Texas Boys Choir and, you know, then played uh, musical instruments and all these different things like this. And so she had this, she really had this plan of me being a minister of music. So she kind of shielded us. Now she let me play football because it was the thing to do in town, you know, and she let mm -hmm. me play the sports, but as long as I did not mess up my music portion of it, but um, toward it, probably like it, it, they, they were very, both of them were very strong headed. I never, ever saw him hit her in the early parts of my life. But in 1968, it started to go south. She wasn't happy with the things that were going on. He was a, he wasn't a recluse, but he wasn't like one of these guys that liked to, you know, go out. He wasn't a social person. He, he didn't like to go out and interact with people. He had his little circle of friends that he hung out with, people that he had grown up with, people that he knew. But as far as like really, you know, like there might be a, uh, a function at down in town, he wasn't one to go to it. And she really started to resent it. And the next thing you know, they started to have fights. And then the next thing, you know, uh, it, it got really violent. And I kind of stepped in one night. Uh, I was 15 when uh, actually the tragic event happened. I, I was like two weeks away from my birthday, but I stepped in and uh, got in between them. And he kind of walked out the door. Uh, he had hit her. I mean, she was hiding black eyes now. She was showing, you know, bruises on her arms where he had grabbed her. And so I stepped in between and kind of broke it up. And he walked out the door, kind of went and cooled off, came back in, pulled her aside, gently pulled her aside, and kind of uh, told her that if I ever did that again, he would kill me. So we were going to church that night, and she grabbed me, and we went to church. And on the way home, we live six miles outside of town. And on the way home, mm -hmm. uh, she dropped me off about a mile away from the house and said, I'm not coming back. You know, uh, just tell your dad, you know, I'll, I'll be in touch soon. And so, of course, I walked home thinking I would get killed. And um, he, when I walked in the door and he asked me where she was, I told him and he just said, go do your chores and get ready and you know, get ready for bed. And kind of like that was it. So he did, the interaction did fall apart at the end. I mean, I, I remember them as growing up as kind of being fine, but it's just, I don't know what happened. We had, um, m my mom and dad had their uh, fourth son. He was 14 years younger than me. And it just, after that, things just started to fall apart. And he really started to go after her, um, like, like he was going after us. So when she left, it didn't surprise me. It's just that I didn't expect what happened afterwards. Mm -hmm. There's a saying that I've heard before, and I see it in my own family. Um, what walks in fathers runs in sons. And I see that true in any kind of domestic violence or even um, substance abuse. Okay. Um, we could liken that to uh, the biblical saying of, you know, um, generational curses. Okay. Right. Um, for me, my great grandfather, which is my, you know, on my dad's side, which is my father's father, mm -hmm. he killed his first wife. Wow. Um, he was a cattleman. They owned a lot of property in New Mexico. They're well-known ranchers. Uh, they're real cowboys. And the story I got was that on a cattle drive, because back then they would have to drive cattle to Santa Fe for the railroad. 
to, mm-hmm. to, to load it up right. to the rail, railroad. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're selling meat to the U S government mm-hmm. for the war and stuff like that. And uh, when they're driving, they would, they would actually push their cattle. Okay. Like on a cattle drive, like a real life cattle deal. So anyhow, while he was doing that, you'd, you'd be a couple weeks, you'd be out of town or whatever. And when he had come home, his first son would tell him, Hey dad, there's a man who comes and makes mama laugh when you're gone. Well, he oh. came home early Needless to say, he caught both of them, and in a fit of rage, he killed them both. Now, with that being said, he went to prison, okay, for, I don't know, like, I think it was like 18 months at the time. And it was because adultery was really frowned upon back then, you know? So he did his time in prison and stuff like that. And when he got out, he was never the same man when he married my grandma which is the woman I knew. Um, he is very cold, very militant, very strict um, to the point where he was, he was abusive. I mean, he would, he would literally hang like one of my, my dad's older brothers, he hung them from a, a hoop, a basketball hoop, and he beat him with a hose. Wow. Um, my father was beaten severely as well. And, you know, my dad kind of transpired that into the way we're raised too, where my dad was very, very abusive. Now, not to that extent, but it still continued. You know, that lineage continued of, of being abusive towards the women, towards, uh, you know, the children. Um, so once I recognized that I was prone to that, that's where I started making the changes to see, because I was already starting to go down that route too you know, with my children and with, you know, just being verbally abusive with my wife, you know? So I, I just wanted to bring that up just to touch base that, you know, do you think that it's a, something that travels along unless we deal with it? Well, I, I, I think it does, but I think it also has to do with the person also. Cause mm-hmm. What you just said right there, when my mother came back and got us, got the four boys, and mm-hmm. um, and we moved in with a deacon from the church and his family. He had eight kids of his own during that time frame. Only seven were in the house. Mm-hmm. But we moved in with him, uh, this deacon. He was the doctor of the town also, one of the doctors. We only had two. He was one of the doctors in the town. And he was counseling and I found out later that I, that it appeared that he was counseling both of them during this time frame, and uh, he was counseling her on trying to get her help because of his violence. And so we all, I mean, we all went to church one night, and my dad was in the middle section of the church, and we were sitting. Uh, I, I, my mother and I were sitting on the left on the outside pews, and my brother was one of my brothers was sitting with Dr. English. This is his deacon mm-hmm. on the right side of the church. And uh, when the church service was starting to end, my mother looked at me and said, I don't feel well, let's go back to the English's house. And I said, okay, sure. And I got up and drove her home. And like 20 minutes later, we found out that my dad had shot and killed Dr. English in the church parking lot. So immediately our life changed. I went from, you know, this little small town in Texas Mm-hmm. to uh, my mother had uh, pa- uh, relatives, her, her parents lived in Pensacola, Florida. And we ended up going to Pensacola, Florida. And I went from a school, like I said, my graduating class was like 35 to a school that had 2,500 in my graduating class. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, 
just, it wasn't Kansas. It wasn't Texas anymore. I mean, it Mm -hmm. just was like, it, you know, like one of my loves was always football. I love playing football. You know, I've always grown up knowing about football and and playing football. But when I went to a school that had that many people in a class, I, I wasn't even in the same league as these football players were. And so I, you know, right off the bat, I wasn't able to play football anymore. Fortunately, I had music and I started playing music in the band. But to kind of go back and answer your question, um, I, after what I saw my dad did, I made it up in my mind. Now, trust me, I was an angry person. I walked away from God. I was angry at everybody and everything. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to be him. So I was going to do everything I could to not be him. Mm-hmm. to be almost the opposite of him. And that sh- showed itself later, later on in life. But it's just that I just told myself and, and, and my mother and I had a, a, a volatile uh, um, relationship for many years. I mean, she still would uh, slap your face. You know, if you said something wrong to her, she just would out of nowhere hit you. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we had a lot of challenges back and forth because she was abused. I mean, she was beaten up as a kid that she married my dad very young just to get out of her, her lifestyle that she was in. But I had made a decision that I wasn't going to be that way. And fortunately for all of us, I mean, my youngest brother was two during this time frame, but my other brothers who were two years apart, none of us went down that track. Not, not, not one of us went down because we just saw how much it destroyed us destroyed our family, really destroyed the unity that we did have. We, we you know, we were kind of close in Texas. And when we, when we moved to Florida, that, that closeness just came unraveled. And, you know, we kind of went our separate ways. We all did. So it was one of these things of where I, I you know, I, I would never, ever hit a person, would never, I would, if I got angry at somebody, I would just go and go into like a cave and just deal with the anger myself. Now, I never was suicidal or anything like that. But I, I listen, I did a lot of walking. And that's what kind of like, helped me in, in calming down. But it, it it's just I, I could not I did not want to, to live, I did not want to hurt anybody. I just couldn't believe what he had done. I really couldn't. And then my mother just kind of like added to it. And I was like, I'm going to be so different. I'm going to try to be so different. I'm gonna try to be so different. And, and so really to fast forward really quick. I mean, events happened in my life. Um, I was robbed and carjacked. That's what got me interested in law enforcement. And then I went to the air force cause I was too young to get into the, uh, uh, into law enforcement. And then when I got out, I was, I was able to join the Norfolk police department. My mother had remarried a guy that was in the Navy and we ended up up in Norfolk, Virginia. And, um, even there, even there, I felt like it was really kind of strange. I mean, when I, I had never been in a real true fight. I mean, my brothers and I had fought all the times. We had blackened eyes and bloodied our noses, kicked and, you know, punched and all these things like this, but had never been in a real actual fight. And I can remember the first time I got into a fight, it was like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I didn't want to. And then when I got pushed to where I had to step in and do something, I felt the anger from my dad before. And it was mm-hmm. like a, 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 you know, a switch flipped. And when it was over with, it scared me. It truly scared me. And I got the reputation of being somebody that w- should be feared. I really did. I, 
it wasn't something that I thought was going to happen. It wasn't something that I was trying to do, but I had a fight with a guy one night that I thought was going to kill me. I really did. And, um, survived it. And he was like one of the toughest guys in the neighborhood. He fought policemen all the time. And I guess it was just my turn in the ring. And uh, I got this reputation of just being uh, somebody to stay away from, somebody to not tick off because of what happened when that kind of that, like I said, that 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 switch would get flipped. And and, and it, it, listen, I, I it, it helped me out in my career. But was it something I really wanted? No, because what I was afraid of, if I ever got mad around somebody else, that that might happen. And so I, I was really scared of that. I mean, I really wanted to keep that kind of in a little box unless I truly needed it at work. But I, fast forward, when we had our first daughter, I told my wife, I would never hit her. I would never spank her. I would never do anything like that. We would, we would have to talk to her, you know, through these things. And I guess she kind of took advantage of it. And, and I was praying, I had turned my life back over to Christ and I was praying about it. And I was like, you know, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And she was really taking advantage of it. I mean, she had got kicked out of a school because, and she's six years old. Mm. I mean, she's just taking advantage of this to the nth degree. So finally I decided that I was going to have to spank her and it about it, 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 it really crushed me, but I use like a paint stick to kind of like give her a little wax on the rump, you know, of course, which, you know, she had all the padding in the world on it and it immediately changed her. I mean, it was just an immediate change and I never really had to do it, but one more time. And my daughter right now, my oldest is uh, studying Homeland Security over here in, uh, uh, over in um, Daytona, Florida, Mm-hmm. and uh, runs Bible studies and, and, and does all these different things for the church, ran a children's ministry in a church. I mean, I'm so blessed that, you know, it just took, it, like I said, it just broke me more than it did her, but it was just, she realized she could not push as, as far as it went. And after that, it, you know, like I said, I encouraged her. I never had to do it again. It was just something that uh, had, I felt like it had to happen. So mm-hmm. I, I understand punishment on children but I don't understand. I do not understand cruelty. I can't take that. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I would see it at the, on the street and I would just get immediately almost lose my mind at times when I would see children that were hurt and stuff like that. But I had to make sure that I maintained my composure because I didn't want children to be afraid of policemen. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, you know, parents are bad enough about saying, Hey, if you're not good, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna call the police on you. You know, oh, there's a policeman. You better be good, or I'm gonna I'm gonna tell him to take you away. That that you just used to fire me up, and, and you know, and I never wanted to give children that idea. I always wanted to give it to give them the impression that we're here to help. You know, mm. we're here to help you. And I I I saw it. I see it in the world today. It's just sad. It, it's terribly sad. I know that there's ways that that the government tries to protect uh, the children, but I, I don't. I, I I sometimes wonder. You know, one of the things that broke my heart when I went back into police work and 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 was a detective mm-hmm. was that a lot of these kids that got into trouble when they would come in, and I would interview them. You know, I got asked where their dads were, and they couldn't tell me. They they had no clue. Mm-hmm. Are you living with your mother? Well, I see her every once in a while. Well, who are you staying with? A grandmother or an aunt or somebody like that, but not their, you know, biological uh, parents. And it, it was no wonder to me that these kids were 
in trouble. I mean, I know what I went through and, and, you know, uh, after my father and then after my, you know, the relationship I had with my mother, I, I just, I felt so sorry for these kids and, you know, wanted to do anything I could to help them. But your, your hands are tied when you're in law enforcement. They really are. It, it you know, if they can get into programs. That's great. If not, uh, they're going to end up in jail and it's just sad. It's just really sad. Yeah. I don't think is. we do enough. I don't think we do enough for our kids. No, I, I don't, I don't think we do either. Um, and I'm guilty of it too. I, I had to correct myself a few times, but I remember, you know, especially with my daughter, not so much with my boys, but with my daughter, when she was younger, you know, I'd be like, Oh, there goes a pig, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Or whatever, you know? And, and then I had to correct myself and see, Hey, you know, what am I conveying to my daughter? I'm telling her that these policemen who she might need to go to later on in the future for help, and I'm totally disrespecting them. What kind of message am I saying? Right, right, right. You know, and um, I had to make that decision, which is a conscious decision to to correct myself. Well, know? I listen, you know, I, I, I've worked in law enforcement over 30, probably 34 years, 36 years. There's good policemen. There's bad policemen. But yeah. you have to understand there's good preachers and there's bad preachers and there's, you know, you can, it, it, there's good doctors and bad doctors. You can go down the list. I, I will just say this before anybody really uh, criticizes what a law enforcement officer goes through. Mm -hmm. I really feel like they need to walk uh, a mile in their shoes. Absolutely. Because it's, it's just, um, you know, I, I remember when I went on the department, my thing was I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to help people. Mm -hmm. And like the first couple of calls I went to and realized these people do not want my help. In fact, they don't even want me here. I was kind of like, what am I doing here then? Mm -hmm. But I got into a thing of where I liked to catch bad guys. You know, that was kind of like my claim to fame of catching bad guys. You know, I was known for that guy that, you know, if you found out you were being investigated by, uh, you know, the partners that I had or myself, it was like, oh, you know, you wanted to clean up your act because I was always standing there. And that just became the thing because it, 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 nobody wants to help, you know, and in domestic issues. Now you got to understand, I, I, I started a police department back in 75. So in the seventies and eighties, domestic violence, we were, our hands were tied. We could not do anything. If we walked into a place and a husband had just brutally beaten his wife, unless she wanted to take, you know, file charges against him, there was nothing we could do. And the thing that we were looking at, she didn't want us to charge him because most of the time he was the breadwinner. So if you take him out and put him in jail, he doesn't go to work the next day. They don't get a paycheck. It was all these things that we were seeing. And then later, like in the nineties, it kind of started to where if you walked into a house and there was physical evidence of somebody being hit, mm -hmm. somebody went to jail. And of course, you know, we kind of had this thing of where it went from one extreme of not doing anything to the next extreme where you were putting everybody in jail. Yeah. And, and there was like, no, the officers had no say so in it, in it all. If they saw, you know, injuries, somebody went to jail. Mm -hmm. And it, so, you know, there's these things that we have to work on to try to figure out how we handle domestic violence. And of course, I'm going to always go back to God. I mean, that's, that's what helps us. Mm -hmm. that if, if we can't get people to connect with Christ, then they're, they're, it's just a lifestyle that they're going to be. And unfortunately, women 
who become victims sometimes just stay in it because, and it's a mm. terrible thing to say, but it is what happens because they, they know that they have kids, they can't work. They're, they're the person that, that, you know, brings home the money and things like that. So it's, mm -hmm. it, it's really, it's really sad that it is so, well, you had, you, you had a thing here. Why do you think it's so prevalent? I, I just think we're a fallen world and, and we, mm -hmm. I mean, we, we have some issues. I mean, I, I work with church safety all across the country and I'm seeing mental health issues just mm -hmm. everywhere because of what has happened with this country of COVID and, and parties not wanting to, you know, talk to each other. And one party calls the other party racist or, you know, uh, uh, anti this anti that. And then one party calls this over here liberal and, 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 you know, wants to do this and this and this. And the next thing, you know, we've got a fighting country. And, and where do you find your, your peace? And mm -hmm. I find my peace in Jesus Christ, because I know that he is in charge. And so mm -hmm. I, I, I work with men. I work with men at my church. I have a Monday night men's group that I'm going to be going there as soon as uh, we're kind of finished. And, you know, I, I work with, um, I, I create safety teams and I try to use it as a ministry to get men into the church to see that God does have a place for them. And so it is, it is a constant battle to make men see that they're worth something mm -hmm. other than what they picture themselves as, which is losers because their parents have told them that, you know, uh, violent because somebody has pegged them as that mm -hmm. they, they have another alternative, but we have to work real hard on it and, um, and, and get them, you know, we, I mean, we're constantly working on this. Mm -hmm. We're constantly doing this. We're constantly in the battles and the trenches to try to win the hearts of these men and women mm -hmm. uh, so that they can they can get the peace uh, that they find through Christ. Because uh, I, I, my book is all based on my life and the things mm -hmm. I went through. It doesn't it, it, we talk about church safety at the very end because that's what I do right now. But it's not like this is who I am. I, I'm a man of God that that worships him and wants others to be able to find the things that I found because when I was not around God, I was always looking for the next quest. And that quest could be either, uh, uh another woman, um, another, uh, arrest at work, all these different things like that. I fed on it because I was looking for perfection in my life mm. and never could find it. And, you know, I, I just think that if God gave me, you know, we, we kind of look at Christians like, oh, they're wimpy and things like this. No, listen, Christianity is the hardest thing in the whole wide world to do. And the thing of it is, is it builds men and, mm -hmm. and God, God, you know, gives you these missions. He gives you missions that he wants you to do. And they're difficult and they're hard. But if we submit, he helps us through it. And mm -hmm. the next thing you know, we're satisfied. Mm -hmm. and, and we're like sitting there thinking to ourselves, what the heck just happened? I've never been satisfied like this. And we find that inner peace that, mm -hmm. uh, is something that we've been looking for all along. And I, I can't agree with you more, James, about being a Christian, um, how we're not weak. You know, sometimes we act meek, but don't ever underestimate and think that weakness is, you know, another or meekness is another form of weakness because it isn't. Right. Um, there's so many examples throughout the whole Bible talking about King David and his mighty men. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, one of his warriors fought a battle swinging a sword until his hands welded to the sword. I mean, right. for you to be fighting that hard to where you can't even open your hands 
you know, to let the sword out of your hands because your hands have basically welded to it because you've been fighting for so long and so hard until there's no more enemies. You have vanquished your enemy. That's a hard dude. I yeah. mean, I've chopped cords of wood and my hands hurt afterwards. You know, even let's say, right. for instance, um, let's say clipping wire as a lineman, because that's that's what I do by profession. Um, you know, clipping wire, you know, we always complain about armor rod syndrome, you know, and our hands are like 80 year old men's after we we do a big job like that and our hands hurt. You know what I mean? Well, imagine where you can't even let go because you fought so hard. That's no, a right. hard dude. You know what I mean? That's right. a, that, that ain't a weak person. That's that's someone who's standing for something. And I think as fathers, we need to stand for for our children, for our families, for for our lives are very a very fragment of society rests on us. You know what I mean? Where we're going. Uh, I, I couldn't agree with you. I mean, you got me on board right there. Cause, cause it's just, if we don't as men stand up and lead our families, like we're supposed to be doing, then we're going to see more of what we're seeing today. We're going to mm -hmm. see more children out here. We're going to see more domestic issues. We're going to see more, uh, uh, kids being arrested and, and, and the different things that we see more kids on drugs, all these stuff, all these issues like this, that if we as men don't stand up, we're, we're, we're going to lose this battle and we can't, it is a hard war out here. It is very difficult um, to work with youth today. They, they, they don't, they don't understand. I don't think a lot of times, and, and I work with a lot of youth around our church. Mm -hmm. And of course they look at us as we're, we're kind of like the, the party downers because we don't want them to do things. And it's not that it's just that we want them to be safe. You know, we could care less if they want to run around and kind of act like crazy people. We're, we just don't want people to get hurt, you know? And so we, we try to connect with them in certain different ways that we can. I went to a camp in uh, Tennessee this year with 10th graders. And um, uh, well, I was with the 10th grade group and like these kids were acting like, you know, what do you know about life? You know, I mean, that's because they're in their own little world. Mm -hmm. And then they heard my testimony and they were kind of like, oh my gosh, you know, you know, when I was their age, what happened to me, you know, it could easily happen to them if they don't, you know, kind of like start to get with the program. It could easily happen with them. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, uh, I know that what I went through was so that I could talk to men about my life and everything that goes on mm -hmm. and you can't look at me i mean i i have guys that come up because a lot of guys think because of my walk that i've been with christ all my life you know i grew up with a silver spoon in my mouth and you know i had a bible in my hand when i was born you know and and, and so they come up to me and they go you don't understand you know mm -hmm. i've done this in my life and i i just look at them and go listen the only thing i haven't done in my life is murder and i said but other than that i've done everything so you can't come to me and tell me God can't love you because of what you have done in your life, because God loves me and has given me the grace that he has that causes me to be able to stand tall and say, listen, God loves you so much. He will forgive those sins. You just got to turn toward him and start walking toward him. So, mm. no, I agree with you hundred percent. Um, I had some questions to ask you, Jim, if you don't sure. mind. Um, sure. Do you feel that in today's age, right, the reason why these kids are being desensitized and people are become more, you know, the, the severity of violence is going through the roof, right? 
do you feel it's because they're glorifying it in like movies and TV and video games and the news and stuff like that? Do you think that's where they're getting desensitized? I, I think that a lot of it comes from that. Okay. I, I think that there is a lot mm -hmm. that does come from that. But if you really want to break it down to where it really starts, it's the breakdown of the family. Yep. I, I you know, when, when, look, a friend of mine down the street here, really good friend of mine uh, goes, his wife works at the church I go to. He goes to the church. He's just a great guy. He, he's kind of easy on his kids and stuff like that. And he and I were talking one day and I said, his, his boy's always playing video games. And I said, what video games do you let him play? I was just curious. Mm -hmm. And he said, Grand Theft. And I said, okay, you need to go watch Grand Theft. I said, you need to go in there and play it yourself to see what's going on. And he came back out to me and he goes, my gosh, I, did, I never realized that. And I said, that's what we're talking about. There's so much violence that is glorified in movies, TVs, and video games. But see, here's what happened. As soon as I pointed it out to him, he said, you're not playing this game anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, he stopped it right there. That's because he's got a halfway structured family. When we break down the families and these kids are living on the streets, the streets desensitize them. Mm -hmm. It's not the games they're playing. They have no leadership. They have no fathers. They have no, you know, their mothers is, is working to where she can't help them or do things like that. They have no structured family. And to me, if you had the structured family, we wouldn't even be talking about the violence in the movies and things like that, because mm -hmm. your family unit would say, you know what? I don't think so. You know, I don't think you're going to be watching this, or I don't think, you know, we haven't made a stand. We finally now are starting to see that good, not, not even Christian movies, but good movies are being made that people can go and watch and their kids can go and watch without you having to cover their eyes or, you know, tell them not, you know, not to pay any attention to this and things like that. I mean, it was funny. I, I, I just recently, I have a 15 uh, year old and, and we like to spend one night a week watching a movie. And she recommended a movie called yesterday. And I'm, I'm going to kind of put a plug in here. And mm -hmm. it was, it, it's not a really a family movie, but it was decent. It didn't have all the stuff that you normally see in some, in, in all these movies. And of course, then I catch her downstairs with another friend of hers, a whole bunch of, uh, of her friends, including my oldest daughter, who's 20 watching the movie it. And even <laughs> though it was just a gory movie, I mean, it was a monster movie. It wasn't like really, I, I just, I, I don't see the need for us to have that much gore and mm -hmm. blood and different things like that. But I, I, I spoke my opinion about it and they were like, Oh dad, you know, it's just, it's just a scary movie. It's not, you know, we're not going to go out and, and, you know, do stuff like this, but when you don't have the family unit there, these things mm -hmm. do add to it. I have a friend that um, goes around the country talking about teenage killers and, um, he, he talks about some of the killers, the teenage killers that did uh, do the terrible things that they did were watching these movies. And Grand Theft Auto is one of the things that he just mm. says really is just something that it, it should be outlawed. But it, it's like one of the most, you know, it, 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 it's the game that's made more money than any other game, you know. So it is. It is sad. We, we do see it. Yeah, it is sad, too. I wanted to give an example, too, is uh, we had this murder when I lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and um, it made national headline. Um, it was a pastor's son. Kid was like 13, I believe, or, you know, I, I don't know exactly, but he was real young. He was in his teenage years. 
uh, pastor's son, the, the, the father was known for really helping out the community, bringing kids into his home, all kinds of stuff. Right. I mean, just a pillar of the community. Um, lo and behold, um, with him being so busy for the Lord and doing all these things, he forgot that his first ministry was his own home. Okay. And with that being said, his child was left up to his own devices, right? Going to the basement, playing these right. violent video games. Okay. I forgot how many video games they said that were just extremely violent that he had that he would go and just sit in his basement in the dark playing them over and over and over again. And we see stories like that with, uh, the, the Nazis and how they would, uh, try to brainwash their foot soldiers into watching gory, violent things. Right. So we know that there is an actual process to the rewiring of our brain, right? Cause our, our brain has neuroplasticity. Okay. Right. So with that being said, this kid kills his whole entire family. Yeah. I mean, whole entire family. Right. Murders them, little sister, everything. And this was a pastor's son who did this. Right. And that's, that's crazy. So if it could happen for him, it could happen for each and every one of us. And that's where I'm going with this is we need to be aware. We need to be responsible. We need to be committed. We need to be intentional with everything we do as a father. I mean, Absolutely. our job doesn't just stop at just being that paycheck, which I speak over and over and over again. Right. You know what I mean? Because oh, me, I agree. I agree. I, yep. I mean, when you're when you're on the road and you're sacrificing and you're busting your butt so your kids could have a better life like my father did. My father, you know, he gave me the things that he didn't have. Right. Right. But he still hadn't dealt with the own trauma that he had. So he passed that on to us, which was the violence that he went through. Sure. OK, so I, like you, vowed never to act like that with my children. I don't beat them or anything like that. I, I believe in discipline, but I never would put him to the extreme that my father put me or he had to experience from his father. So I went to the exact extreme, right? But I, it didn't stop there. It started with violence in the way I spoke to my kids. So now I was using intimidation as fear and putting sure. that fear into my wife, putting that fear into my children. And it wasn't until I brought that was brought to my attention and I caused some damage in my marriage and with my own children to where I had to make those appropriate changes. Now, with that being said, I'm having to rectify all the things that I did, but it's a part of being aware. And that's a part of being a good father is saying, Hey, you know, I made these mistakes. I need to make some changes. I need to be more present in their lives. You know, one of the things I heard was the curse of fatherhood is absence, right? We, yeah. we're, we're, we're constantly absent, whether it be in absent in the mind, absent in, in, you know, in the physicality form, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Where we're actually out, you know, uh, providing for them or just being the distant dad syndrome where you're right. completely checked out your home, but you're in the next room on the phone. Right. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, you're, you're saying everything. I wanted to add one last thing, though, because mm -hmm. you, you, your question was, do you feel in this day and age we desensitized mm -hmm. with the severity of violence? I think of the other thing that that concerns me more than anything else. And I did a bunch. I did several investigations on this mm -hmm. is the uh, the easy access to pornography. Mm. And and I, I think that that causes a lot of issues. I, I, I would even put it in there as much as the violence that is in TVs. And, and I, it's so easy for kids to get it. It is, it is, you know, the, the girls entice, I, I 
I had a mother that came in and said, you know, her daughter's Twitter account, there was a person that was, you know, like stalking her. And I went out and looked at her Twitter account. She's 15 years old and she's wearing bathing suits. They show way too much. And I went to the mom and said, Hey, you need to stop this here. And mom was like, well, she just likes those bathing suits. You know, there's nothing wrong with those bathing suits. Yes, there are. That's what brings you these issues. Mm -hmm. But you know, the, the things that we see, these kids get caught up in the pornography also, and then it becomes violent. And then you see the violence in the video games and the TV movies, and it's acceptable. I mean, look at who is one of the, the biggest, you know, producers out here of nothing but violent movies. I'm not even going to mention his name because I don't want to give him any airtime, but, mm -hmm. but I don't even watch his movies anymore because it's just nothing but glorified, uh, violence and, and, and mm -hmm. they're not going to get my money, uh, me going and supporting them by watching their movies. It's just not. So I, I think that we as dads need to take a, I mean, we really need to step up to the plate mm -hmm. and be engaged. You know, when I talk to kids sometimes and I ask them, where's your dad? And they say, oh, he's at home. And I said, is he engaged? And they say, no, not really. He works too much. You brought up an interesting point. They're out here working way too much and they're not engaged with how their kids are being raised. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's great to make, you know, good money for your kids so that they have what you didn't have, but they're going to miss you one day. And they're, they're now going to raise their children to do the same thing. We have to be more engaged in what's going on. We really do. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask you, I thought something that was interesting is earlier when we were speaking, you brought up something you're talking about how your mother had experienced violence, right? Mm -hmm. And I, the reason why you're going to see how I tie this all together. So she experienced violence growing up and then she went on to marry a man who was violent, which was mm -hmm. your father. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now the correlation there, I've seen it in other uh, women. Okay. Where they grew up in a household where they thought that was acceptable. We're talking about things that are being accepted. So when a father is abusing his daughter, abusing his mother, that becomes acceptable. That becomes the norm. So then when they go out and they choose a mate, they're choosing somebody that was like their father. Right. Right. In oh, a yeah. lot of cases, or they go the complete opposite where they marry someone who's completely not like their father at all and it's like completely lopsided right but nevertheless they tend to marry these men who are that have a certain characteristic like their father um i see that in in both my sisters i have twin sisters that are older than me one of them married completely opposite from my father but the man's a passive aggressive right right and that's not good at all you know what i mean no. Um, yeah, and, yeah. and then the other side of that is my other sister. She married a man who was violent himself. You know what I mean? And um, yep. it's because of that norm of growing up in that. And that's what I'm trying to get at is fathers. We need to show our daughters. We need to show them what it is, what a healthy relationship is with our mothers. When we're constantly fighting with our, our wives, when we're constantly beating on them. We're constantly putting them down. We're telling our daughters that that's okay. Right. And it isn't. And that's how much influence we have as a father. You know, and I, I want these guys to understand that and keep that in mind. I'm not trying to pester them or, or really just trying to, you know, put them down in any shape or form. But that's the influence we willed. Our daughters what? are going to seek that in another yeah. man. Let, 
in and okay so let me let me let me throw this in here because this this is when we're talking about these things these are things that that i like to stress to the guys that i'm around mm-hmm. what is okay if if you just believe that when you die then it's gone okay mm-hmm. that's really kind of a sad life Let, let's be realistic about it yeah but if you if you are looking for what the future what kind of future are you going to leave? Is your son and daughter going to end up just like you were? Mm-hmm. And you go, well, it was good enough for me. It should be good enough for them. No, that's not the right answer. That's not the right answer. Do you want them to be just like you? Because that's what you're leading them toward. That mm-hmm. When you're not engaged, when you're not a part of their life, when, when you do, do all the things, the violence, all these things that, you, that we've been talking about for the last 40 minutes, the, the, there's the, that's what you're going to leave to your children. If you're a Christian, what is the legacy that you want to, to, to leave? And, and trust me, I, I've said this multiple times in my prayers. Mm-hmm. I, I just, uh, I kind of, I'm the caretaker for my girls. I, I lead a godly life. I tell them, I, I, because of, you know, my 15 year old being 15, she either goes to the youth group on Wednesday night or she goes to big church, but she's got to, she has to be in there and she sees the life that I live. I want her to look for a guy that treats her the same way that I treat her. And that is as an, as an individual, mm-hmm. intelligent, you know, she, you know, whatever she's going through, I want to be there for her, not to judge her, not to condone her. But to be there for her, if she ever needs me, just a funny story real quick. My, uh, she had this dream of a, of a business that she wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so um, she kind of was talking to her mom about it. Uh, you know, Wendy, my wife, kind of talking to Wendy about it. And Wendy said, well, you know, it, you know, it could go one way or you could end up being, being uh, you know, it, it could go south and then you would be bankrupt. But it's, you know, those are the type of things you got to look at. I mean, she's being realistic with her, kind of explaining something to her. Mm-hmm. So one day I was asking her about, hey, do you still have that dream of doing this business? And she goes, no, because I don't want to go bankrupt. And I said, well, okay. She says, because I'm afraid I, I would be living on the street. And I was like heartbroken. I was like, where did this come from? Hmm. And she goes, well, mom's always telling us that when we turn 18, she's kicking us out of the house. And I said, babe, she's just joking. She's just joking with that. You will always have a place to come and stay with us. No matter what is going on in your life, we wow. will always have a room for you. And you could see the relief in her just hmm. to hear that. And I said, mom is only kidding, but I had to go back to Wendy And I said, you can't say that anymore. And so she just kind of went to him and she said, listen, I kid about this all the time, but I love you all too much. I would never, ever say that you could never come back to the house if you needed help from us and things like that. So we have to be careful what we say, but we are the caretakers of these children. And what type of legacy do we want to leave? Do we want to leave a legacy to where these children that we're working with do something better than we did? I mean, I, I, I really could have just been terrible in my life died and not done anything worthwhile but i am working to to ex- expand the kingdom of god but mm-hmm. to use not use but to encourage my children to be those that go out and do those things because i i, I can only do so much but i need them to be continuously doing those so what do we want to do for our children 
do we want to build up the rewards in heaven that are forever? Or do we just want to push them toward making money that just last here in this earth? And, and if, if you've made money, I mean, I, I, I have had opportunities to make money and they're, they're never satisfying. You always want more. Yep. I've only found the satisfaction in, in Jesus Christ. And mm-hmm. like I said, I, I you know, I, I just want to continue on that legacy of being a good servant to Christ and my children being good servants to Christ. And then their kids will see that and their kids hopefully will see that and on and on. You're absolutely right. The people that we have in the world today, we've gone through a change. We've gone through a terrible change of where in the 90s and the 2000s and the 2010s, we saw a drift away from uh, the religious community. But with everything that's going on, I I was listening to a guy today and he said the church is coming back because... Mm -hmm people are uncertain. And when they become uncertain about their future, they look for answers and they find so many answers in the church. So to me, it's kind of an exciting time right now. We just got to stay focused and make sure that we continue to bring our brothers and sisters into the fold and not push them out because of what has happened in the past, but to help them see that the past isn't the way you want to live, but you want to be able to get that peace, that inner peace and the strength that we get only through him. So mm, I, I like that. I like that a lot, Jim. Um, I agree with you 110%. Um, a lot of people always ask me, you know, oh, them Christians, them Christians, you know, hypocrites yeah. and everything, you know, and yeah. I'm like, the only difference between me and you is that I'm mad enough to say I need help. I can't do it on yeah. my own, you know? Yeah. And with that being said, I think as Christians, we have forgotten that we are to give a hand up, not a handout. Exactly. A lot of Christians nowadays get the bad, um, they get a bad report or whatever, because what do they say? Oh, you guys are judgmental. You're going to judge me, right. whatever, you know? And, yeah. and I see that. I, I see that more yeah. than ever with even in Christian circles. Right. I think our job is to let people know that, hey, we're here to help you. We're here to right. give you a hand up, not a right. handout. Right you know, to restore you. Yeah, exactly. That's our job. Our job's to restore other men. And that's what I do here on, on, with our foundation, you know, not to tell you that you're a a piece of garbage and you're a bad dad or anything like that, but say, Hey, there's another way brother. Yep. And I want to see you succeed. I want your kids to succeed. I want my kids to succeed, you know, and I want to lift you up as much as I can to try to help you and give you the tools and resources for you to become a better dad, for you to become a better husband, for you to become a better person, you know, and that, that, that is the only way to do that is through Jesus Christ. I'll be honest. Exactly. That's what, that's what's helped me, you know, um, before we close Jim, I wanted to ask you one thing. I think a lot of men were, who are listening to this show could agree with me. Um, all that trauma you went through with your father and everything that happened like that, obviously you have to forgive, right? And we oh, yeah. know that forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. Sure. How did you learn to forgive? Like, what is some of the steps that you learned to forgive? Like, what is the first step you did? Well, I, it, it took me a long time to actually forgive. Uh, I, I had a relationship with my dad after uh, the incident happened. He, he, like you talked about your gr- great grandfather, I think it was, or mm-hmm. grandfather that only got a, uh, so many, so 
uh, not a lot of time in jail. My dad didn't either because it was basically the same thing. They were accusing, you know, my mother having a relationship with the, uh, with the, the deacon. And, and of course he was being tried by his peers who were people that knew him and all these things like this. So he got five years and he was out in 18 months. Mm -hmm. Uh, we had a meeting at, I mean, we, we met up afterwards and I had a long relationship with him. It was never, ever what I, I never heard my dad say that I I'm proud of you for doing what you've done in your life. I mean, one time he told me if I was around, you wouldn't have become a policeman. And I was kind of like, well, you weren't around. When my dad got really sick, I saw him start to to come apart. And it was just one of these things I felt really sorry for him because I I really felt like he was afraid that he didn't want to go and meet his maker because he claimed that he was a Christian. I mean, he claimed it. And uh, I, I, I'm not the one to judge. You know, I, I have to kind of let it go. But while he was really just complete, I mean, he was in hospice. And he was at the house and I wrote an email to my stepmother and I know she got it. And I said, please read this to him. And in it, I said, I forgive you for everything that you've ever done to us. I love you. Please, you know, go, go be with God, you know, mm -hmm. just let it go and go be with God. And so it was one of these things where I just, um, I couldn't hold on to it. It wouldn't do me any good. What, what good would it do? You know, the stuff that happened with my mom and I, I, I couldn't, and she came to help me at one time when nobody else would. So we, we got rid of what we had and we talked about it. We talked about it. We were, we were both hardheaded. We were both hurt. We were both in, you know, a bad timing and stuff like that. So, you know, we both agreed that we were both wrong and, and we had both wronged each other and we asked for forgiveness, but I don't hold anything against my dad. Uh, I, I can't. It, it, what good would it do? It would just, mm. it would eat away at you. So I, I let it go. I, I told him I forgave him. I gave it up to God. God took it and put me at peace with it. So because of that, I, I, I have no, really, I'm, I don't walk around going, I wish I'd have said something today. I did. I wrote the email and said, hey, I forgive you. You know, go see God. So. I'm hoping that one day I get to see him again. Maybe he and I can have another long talk and, you know, just uh, come to an agreement that, you know, God had a plan for us and we didn't know what it was. We didn't ask for it, but if we submit to him, then he takes us and shows us his plan. And it's a, it's, a, it's an incredible road. It's an incredible journey. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, no, I like that. Um, I think what helped me in the process of forgiveness with my own father is being able to see it through lenses. You saw, you talked about uh, seeing things through different lenses, right? right? And for me, it was having an empathetic lens that I saw my father in. I had to see him as an actual person. Yes. As 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 a as a boy who was abused yes. himself. Yep. A boy who didn't know, um, for lack of better words, didn't know another way. Yeah. You know, and my yep. father could only give me what he could give me. He couldn't give me something he didn't have, you know. Right. And once I started to see him through that empathetic lens, I started to see him as a human being, not as an enemy, not as someone who I hated and loathed, who, someone who I didn't want to be around. And once I started doing that, I was able to find healing. And it's it's a process. It's a journey. And, uh, you know, I. I'm just so thankful that that's helped me to be set free. Yeah, it you does know? free us. It really mm -hmm. does. 
David, it really does. But once again, Jim, thank you for coming on here so much. I appreciate everything you do for us, brother, and keeping people safe and just your hard work and just everything you do, man. Um, how could someone get a hold of you if they wanted to reach out to you and, and talk to you more and get a hold of your book, if you don't mind? Sure. No, uh, Jim at TrinitySecurityAllies.com. Uh, that's my email address. Our webpage is Trinity Security Allies. And uh, you can find our book on our webpage, trinitysecurityallies.com, or the uh, God's Unseen Plan, all one word.com. Please don't buy it off Amazon. Don't, don't mean anything bad about Amazon, mm -hmm. but um, it, uh, we, we, we don't get as much for the ministry. And everything that, that, is, that we get from the book goes straight to the ministry. Mm -hmm. So, but uh, Jim at trinitysecurityallies.com, uh, that's the easiest way to get to me. Mm. Well, once again, Jim, thank you so much for coming on here. And uh, hey, David, thank you for having me. Absolutely. God bless, brother. God bless you too, brother.